0: welcome back to cargumentative a times live podcast on which we chew the fat on all things automotive i'm your host thomas faulkner from the sunday times and i trust that you're all continuing to stay safe in these surreal times remember folks stay at home and tinker on your car it's the cool thing to do now, like I've said before, producer Paige and I are still broadcasting via our virtual studio. And in this episode, we're joined by an intrepid Irishman who's going to tell us all about his epic trek through Africa in a car I bet very few of you know exist. So without any further waffle, I'd like to welcome restaurateur, raconteur, racer, writer, and all-around brave adventurer Terence Tracy to the show. Terence, thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. Thomas, it's great to be here. It's great to have you.
0: It's great to have you. Um, You're a man with many interesting stories to tell. Um, But before we get into that, I just want to know, you're originally from Ireland. How did you end up in South Africa?
1: Oh, look, I was um, uh, working in the hotel business in Ireland and then was sent over to France to continue my training. And I spent a couple of years on the continent. And my brother at the time and my sister were both living in South Africa. My sister was a, a nun with Nazareth House, and she was in the missions here helping the poor people of, uh, of Africa. So uh, I came to visit uh, them, and I loved Africa. Uh, so um, a couple of years later, I came back to live in South Africa, and I've lived in Africa ever since 1982.
0: And um, since I've known you, Terrence, you've always had a thing for this car called the human M. Why do you love it so much and what makes it special?
1: Well, uh, you know, being from a very poor family back in Ireland, we, we weren't uh, fortunate enough to have a car until, until I was about 50 years of age. Uh, that's when my family bought our first car. So before cars, we, was, we were always uh, walking to church, walking to school, uh, to the shops, etc., or getting public transport. So my, the, the, the first car that was ever purchased in our family was a Hillman Imp. And the reason that uh, my brother at the time bought a Hillman Imp was my next door neighbor um, who lived right across the, the the barbed wire fence from our house, he used to rally uh, a Hillman Imp. So he was quite a, a renowned um, racer back in Ireland and uh, his son subsequently was the first Irishman to have won the all-tar rally in England a couple of years ago with a Subaru. So yeah, from a, a big racing family, um, he raced the Hillman Imp and he clearly... Convinced my brothers that the Hillman Imp was a fantastic car and they should buy one. Well, I'm not sure if he was ill-informed or if he was a liar, but but certainly the Hillman Imp was not a great car by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs>
0: and um, what is a Hillman Imp? I mean, a lot of people out there listening right now, if who, who probably haven't heard of this car before, um, you know, if you had to kind of uh, describe it, what is it all about? Well, it's,
1: uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a car that was made in the UK, and I, I'm very particular in saying in the UK because it was not bought, uh, it was not built in England. It was actually built in Scotland. Uh, the Roots Group um, was a, quite a, a well-known and well-respected uh, car manufacturing company for years and years, and the English government uh, decided to offer them an incentive to bring. Um, work uh, to the poor people and the unemployed of Scotland. So they said to you, you're going to be building a new uh, car called the Hillman Hemp. Why don't you build a factory in in Scotland? We'll give you a great tax incentive to do so. And then uh, the car was then built in Scotland. It has got the uh, aerodynamics of a brick. It's like a little square car. The engine is is at the back of the car. Um, And it is a very small car. It was... It was intended to rival the um the the British um mini that was so successful. Um they they never managed to get to the um market before the mini. The mini was about five years ahead of the Hillman Imp. And um yeah, so so the, 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 the Hillman Imp, um, in spite of the fact that it had uh, a very square-looking shape and, and not very aerodynamic per se. It had very and a very advanced engine um, configuration. It was an all-aluminium engine and an all-aluminium gearbox, and it it was an overhead cam uh, engine, and it was tilted at about a forty-five degree angle, so it allowed um, the car to have exceptionally good handling characteristics. So basically, it was it was a car that. Um, was hastily brought to market. Too hastily brought to market. It had a lot of problems at the beginning because it was pushed to market too early. It was also then um, um, made in Scotland, and they had to rely on the, on the Midlands of England for a lot of the engineering. So it was quite a difficult thing for the um, for, from a logistic point of view. But in spite of that, 500,000 Hillmans were made, and South Africa was one of the countries that they were exported to, Australia. Um, Ireland, a few in America and a little bit onto the continent but mainly it's England, South Africa and Australia where the car exists in good numbers until today. So
0: Terence, in 2013 you decided to drive one of your Hillman Imps because you've got many um, 14,000 kilometers from Johannesburg through Africa all the way up to London. Why on earth did you do such a thing?
1: Well, uh, um, I belong to the Imp Club, it's a a member, uh, it's a a club of Imp uh, owners um, worldwide. So the chairman of the club at the time, Graham, um, he had sent out a message on the the, uh, monthly magazine asking, what should we do to celebrate the car's 50th birthday, which was in 2013? So about three years before the event, I sent a message to him, I said, I phoned him actually, I said, hey Graham, it's Terence, I'm a member of the Imp Club and I think, what I'd like to suggest is I will drive one of my human imps from um, uh, uh, you know up to the event in Coventry when we're having the event in 2013. He says, Wow, he said that's a very good idea. He said a lot of the guys will be driving their cars to the to the event. Uh, which part of England are you coming from? You know, he said, Where are you coming from? I said, No, I'm coming from Randburg. He says, Where is Randburg? And I said, Well, it's just north of Johannesburg. He says, Well, you're mad. My, He says, have you seen what happened to the two guys who tried to do the Mongol rally in Hilman Imp? So I said, yes, yes, I did see that. And I said, yeah, they had to abandon their car in, in Uzbekistan. And uh, yeah, that was quite a sad story. And, and uh, I said, yes, yes, but they didn't prepare the car very well. Um, and he says, yes, you better prepare your car very well for that trip. And I said, of course I will. But as you can see later in the, in the uh, episode, I didn't really prepare the car very well. So it was to celebrate the car's 50th birthday. There was a gathering of people in Coventry where the engine originally was based uh, uh, from. And um, we then decided that we're going to join the people that were going to be together in Coventry for the celebration in May 2013, 50 years after the car was uh, first manufactured
0: incredible stuff we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be returning to the show and we'll hear some more about terence's adventure in his hillman imp driving through africa
2: Time Select is your ticket to news without the noise. A daily digital edition of news, business, lifestyle, sport, and more. It's news you can trust anytime, anywhere. We know that's important now more than ever, and that's why we're offering a 60-day subscription to Time Select for just 60 Rand. Go to select.timeslive.co.za forward slash buy to sign up for this great deal.
0: Welcome back to Cargumentative. We're chatting to Terence Tracy, who drove his Hillman Amp uh, from Johannesburg all the way up to London. Uh, Terence, before the break, uh, you touched briefly on preparation and how important preparation is um, on such a trip. What, What did you do to prepare your imp for the drive through Africa? Did you make any significant modifications and did any spares with you?
1: Yes, in actual fact, I did, uh, Thomas. Um, The main modification that we did to the car was based on advice from a very good friend of mine, Roger Pierce, who has driven up uh, through Africa more than, I think, as many as five times. And he said to me, whatever else you do, do not put cheap Rode uh, car tires on your car. Put Bucky tires, hard, shouldered uh, commercial Bucky tires. So I took his advice, and um, in spite, of, uh, and then uh, we also made modifications to the um, shocks. We put slightly uh, stronger shocks in, and at the where the back seat of the car usually existed, we removed that completely, and we built an area for us to put uh, tools and spares. And then obviously our our kit uh, that 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 we took with us. Um, we then also put a massive long um, uh, uh, protection underneath the car, a big long uh, slab of aluminium, and uh, uh, because we expected a bit of trouble on the roads going through going through Africa, so we thought we should protect the engine a little bit. And that's um, basically the, ma- the the only modification that we did to the car. We we also put. Um, Uh, uh, fiberglass windows in the back uh, to lighten it a little bit we also put a solar panel on the roof to try and give us a bit of extra charging um, as we travel through Africa with the sun and obviously we put a roof rack on uh, as well with um, uh, carrying space on the roof we also then, the last major modification that we did was we put a radiator in the front and we put a second fuel tank in the car so the car ran with uh, a double a set of human fuel tanks in the car giving us a longer range.
0: Interesting. So you made quite a few modifications and you were carrying a fair amount of kit. Was the car a lot heavier than a, um, a standard car? And did you have any trouble in terms of all this added weight?
1: In uh, fact, like, a very good friend of mine, uh, Arnold Bettendorf, he'd also done a little bit of travel around Africa. He gave me a lot of advice as well. And he said, whatever else you do, take as little stuff as possible. So I think. All in all with the, with the back seats removed and um, yeah yeah definitely we, we did carry extra weight o- obviously the extra uh, tank of fuel would be an extra about thirty kilograms, and the tools that we took would have been an extra probably two hundred kilograms, so yeah, the car would have been heavier quite a bit heavier than a normal car, but not not um, overly so
0: okay um, and then in terms of uh, of you of Road challenges, I mean, um, what were some of the biggest challenges you guys faced um, when the adventure began and did you, you know, so have any planners remorse over the first couple of days?
1: <laughs> well, um, I think uh, we, we were already 10 days delayed in our departure because of my very poor planning and my, and, my, and my bad preparation of the car. And um, so in spite of everything, I said to Jeff, um, let's go on the 28th of March is the day we left. As we drove the car out of my property here in, in Randburg, we noticed that there was fuel leaking out of the um, tank setup uh, that I put in the car. So I said to Jeff, oh no. It was the first time we'd filled the tanks that morning. So obviously we hadn't truly tested it. Um, in actual fact, we never tested the car. We hadn't had time. So I decided instead of fixing the car with the toolbox in the in the um, uh, car that we had uh, nicely packed, I said let's let me just reverse back into the into the yard and I'll fix it with the other stuff in the garage. Well, there I realized my next breakdown. I had lost reverse gear. So I said to Jeff, I said you know what, I said we haven't got time to fiddle with this now. And if we start fiddling with it now, we might end up losing first, second, or third, or fourth. So let's drive. Let's let's drive with the gearbox as it is, and and, and the car is light enough to push back if we need to push it back. So um, so that was a very interesting thing because it, it became a very interesting thing aspect of the of the trip because as we got more and more um, trouble on the way, and as we got stuck in most terrible situations, we were we were saying to each other, "Listen here." We actually haven't got reverse gear in this car, so there's no way we're going to go back. We have to fix whatever the problem is here and have to make London. So we used it as a psychological um, um, benefit, a a psychological um, tool to actually overcome the challenges that we we faced. And we had huge problems. We we had massive problems on the road. The roads were, were, were good to reasonable up until we got to Tanzania. Tanzania had a couple of hundred kilometers of pretty nasty um, gravel roads and then we get into Kenya that was where the real, real, real trouble started Yeah, I, I think um, uh, the, a couple of the guys in Kenya in, in Tanzania said to us, when you get to Kenya you need to hire a, um, a soldier or, or a, merc- um, um, a security guard to, to travel with you from um, Marsabit up to Mayali about 500 kilometers of dirt road he said, because that's called the banded road. And he said, if you don't um, take um, a, a, a security guard with you armed with a gun, he said, you'll never get through. So we said to ourselves, well, now we've got two seats in the car. We've got all the tools in the back of the car. Where is this guy going to sit? So I said, look, he's a soldier. He's going to have to sit on the roof rack like anybody else. <laughs> but we, we decided, no, we, we, number one, we can't afford the money to, to pay for this security guard. And uh, we, we said we'll rather hitch up with a convoy of people in Marsabit to get up to Moyali with the protection of the, of the convoy. So we, that was our plan. But we were scared. We were really scared at this point in Tanzania when we heard about these guys um, and what they do to people on the road. And also, in fact, you also wrote an article in The Times at that particular juncture. And I only read this article uh, while we were waiting in Nairobi. And you mentioned about uh, a week earlier, I think it was an English tourist was, was killed by assegais or, or these spears by a group in, on that very same road. Do you remember writing that article? Well, I remember reading it. I
0: that. do, I do. Jeez, that's, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's
0: a, a blast from the past. Eh?
1: <laughs> so I was worried. Um, I was, that, was, that was the time when I was really worried about what we had actually committed ourselves to.
0: I'm sure. I mean, that's these are, these are things that you you don't really think about um, when you're planning. Um, and as you go, you speak to people and people tell you things and then you think, oh boy, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> what have I actually done here? Um, yeah. But where did you guys sleep at night? I mean, um, you mentioned you didn't have a lot of money uh, to invest in this trip. So did you camp out in the bush or did you the accommodation, um, and how were you guys received by locals?
1: Yeah, look, we, we did uh, have a, a camp a tent with us, a, b- a borrowed tent, and uh, we used that to, to sleep uh, on next to the road or, or in campsites mostly. Um, once in a while, when we wouldn't be able to find a campsite uh, on a night, then we would stay in the cheapest, um, you know, guesthouse or accommodation or hostel that we could find. Yeah, we we, we basically used our tent as much as we could to save money. And then we ran out of money, of course, in in Egypt as well. That was another story.
0: (laughs) It never ends. Um, And did you guys... Have any encounters with wildlife, uh, never mind bandits? I mean, up in Africa, you've got hyenas, lions, snakes.
1: Well, yes, of course we did. We, we, we drove through the Chobe in, in Botswana, and that was beautiful because we saw lots of, of wildlife. As you know, it roams freely across the roads there, and it was basically like a free journey through a, a wonderful game reserve, and that was lovely. Um, we, we, we obviously didn't feel threatened at all. Um, when we got to um a place called turby um we, we were basically um uh, stuck in the mud for two days and eventually we, we needed to get to Mayali. um otherwise we would uh, we would never have been able to finish our trip so a guy um who was also stuck with his truck his tourist um, uh, camper truck in the same um um uh, construction site, a Chinese road building construction site where we had slept for two days. Um, he said, listen, I'm going to hire a 4x4 to get me to my alley. I have to get there because before my visa lapses. If you want to, we can travel together. And if you get stuck in the mud, we will pull you with the 4x4. And I said, fantastic. Please let us do that. We arranged a price. We arranged a, a deal with, it, with the driver of this 4x4 when he came. And then we started driving towards Um, Mayali, which was about another 120 kilometers from where we had been stuck. and The mud was like, you couldn't even walk across the road, it was so muddy. We we encountered the heaviest rainfall that uh, Kenya had ever experienced that particular march. So we managed not 120 kilometers to Moyali behind this 4x4 when we got stuck. We only got about 20 kilometers and it took us the entire day. So now we were stuck in a little in the police station of Turby Village, where we had to rebuild the front end of the car because it was completely ruined from being towed over rocks and through rivers by this 4x4. And when we slept at night, we could hear the hyenas right next to the, to the police station. And then the next morning when um, I went to the bathroom, obviously went to the toilet in the middle of the night as well. In the morning, we could see the footprints of the hyena right next to the, to the long drop uh, toilet that was there. So yeah. Wildlife, we had plenty of it. And snakes, we didn't encounter any. We didn't see any snakes. And, um, and, and, and let me tell you, bandits and bad people, we didn't meet one. We had absolutely zero, zero, zero problems from people. We, we had, we, we, you asked me earlier, and I didn't answer your question, um, how were we received by the locals? We were, we were welcomed with open arms. We, people couldn't believe, first of all, when we were at the beginning of our journey and we showed the map, of where we had planned to go with, uh, with with our little car. And we had the map painted on the bonnet of the car. People said, you're mad, you'll never get there. And the more we got into the journey, they said, wow, you're crazy, how did you get so far? My, you're mad. So it was, it was fantastic. The people that we met along the road were unbelievable.
0: Amazing stories. We're chatting to Terence Tracy about his journeys through Africa and his Hillman amp. We're gonna have a quick break and we'll be back with you guys shortly.
2: Time Select is your ticket to news without the noise. A daily digital edition of news, business, lifestyle, sport, and more. It's news you can trust anytime, anywhere. We know that's important now more than ever, and that's why we're offering a 60-day subscription to Time Select for just 60 Rand. Go to select.timeslive.co.za forward slash buy to sign up for this great deal.
0: Welcome back to Cargumentative. We're chatting to Terence Tracy about his um, incredible 14,000 kilometer trek through Africa in his film. Terence, what were some of the scariest moments you guys encountered on the trip?
1: Yeah, I think uh, the, the, for me the scariest uh, moment was when we were traveling through the mud desert and, and it's, it sounds like an oxymoron that but it was. It was normally an area that doesn't get any rain in Kenya, and it had the highest rainfall in recorded history. We were being dragged through a terrible muddy section by a four by four, um, because our car was actually not able to get through the mud. The, the middle maniki was too high. Our wheels were actually hanging without even touching the ground below. And they were actually the, the car was actually being dragged like a ski across the, the, the middle mannequin, causing big, big damage to the bottom of the car. So we get to a point where we had heard it was a really challenging um, crossing um, where a river had uh, a bridge had actually washed away. So then the four by four in front of us stopped and um, uh, realized that, oh, this is quite a big, steep hill that he has to have to go down. And then he's going to have to come up a very steep, muddy hill on the other side. So as uh, as he stopped, I got out, I was about to get out of the car to ask what was his plan. And that my car was actually start being being dragged forward straight away. So, I realized he had already decided he's going to drive through this. He drove down this massive, steep, muddy hill into the bottom of the riverbed through across to the river and gunned his four by four up the other side and I said to myself, "This is crazy. We will never make it and By some miracle, we actually managed to crawl through the top and Then we had to go down another slide, and onto the other side, there was a massive lake, and he dragged us right through this lake. The water was up to the to the um, halfway up our doors, all the money that we had um, hidden under our carpets, all the US dollars that we had hidden under our carpets were completely soaked. They were absolutely um, uh, filthy, dirty and full of mud. So we got through this by another miracle. That was the scariest moment for me on the whole trip. Terence,
0: what is your favorite country and why? Um, it's probably quite a tough one to answer considering that you went through so many um, on the journey. But, but. Is there a particular place that stands out?
1: Oh definitely for me it was it was a very emotional time because we had a, a problem with the Hillman Imp where we lost the clutch so we had to drive about 200 kilometers through Sudan, Sudan, northern Sudan that was, um, and on our way into Khartoum the capital we lost the clutch and we had to do about 200 kilometers on the road going through numerous roadblocks and um, Uh, crashing the gears to get to eventually to get to the campsite on the side of the Blue Nile um, in in Khartoum. So while we were um, we pulled the engine out of the car, we decided that we were going to see what the problem with the clutch was. Luckily, we had a spare clutch and pressure plate with us. So we popped that into the car. We put the engine back into the car. We um, it took the whole day to do this. Obviously, neither one of us were good mechanics. Um, And then uh, Jeff took the car around the campsite for a bit of a test drive. And he says, yeah, everything is fine. Everything looks fine. It's, it's pulling okay. So we both had a shower and then um, started building our camp uh, for the night. And then, then Jeff said to me, Terrence, did you tighten the bolts on the pressure plate? And I said, no. He says, oh, neither did I. So guess what we did instead of making dinner? Took the engine out a second time for the same day and tried to fix this clutch. So while we were doing it, now under the camp um, um, uh, floodlight, A guy, another one of these magnificent people came up and said, can I help you in any way? I'm not a mechanic, but he says, can I help you? And I said, no. Yes, we need money. Where can we find an ATM? So basically, I'm not going to go into a long story about this. You can read about it in my book. Basically, he then told me that because of the sanctions um, with the outside world, Sudan is not linked to our banking system. So we had a problem. And for us to get the 300 US dollars that we needed, he said he will speak to his friends to see if there was a way he could organize it through the banks. So then an hour later, he sent a message that I should see him. And uh, I thought he was going to try and and cheat us out of the hundred US dollars that we had. And he said, listen, I spoke to my friends. There's no way you can get money. So we've had it. um, uh, We put the hat around and he says, here, take this as a gift from the people of Sudan. And he gave us three, 100 US dollar bills for us to actually get out of of Sudan. Without that, we would never have left Sudan. But let me tell you what a beautiful, beautiful, what a beautiful people. The people of Sudan were fantastic. We had people that we, we loved all along the route, but Sudan stands out as very, very special.
0: And how did the Hillman Imp perform? Um, was it reliable? Was it comfortable? Um, how did it cope with the terrain?
1: Yeah, we had problems with a bad road in Kenya. Well, obviously, you can't drive a, a normal car through a road that, even the 4 by 4 eventually got stuck. So, so you just imagine. On the main tar roads, it was fine. The, the, the fuel consumption was OK. The seats were comfortable because we put in seats from, a, from a, a modern car. We put two modern seats in the front, so they were quite comfortable. And uh, the car performed very well, um, except in Ethiopia when we had to travel out of the, um, the Great Rift Valley, uh, where the hill was so steep that we couldn't get any speed into the car going up the hill, and it was starting to overheat. So um, eventually, when we, when we um, um, got the car back into South Africa a couple of years later by ship, we realized that the damage that was caused during that uh, overheating um, eventually had, a, a, had, a, had a, one of the pistons blow a hole in it. But luckily, it managed to keep, uh, keep going all the way to London.
0: And what was it like to reach London?
1: Well, we have, to, we have to go back, first of all, to Turkey before we get to London, because we took a ship from from uh, Egypt across to Turkey, Iskandaran, on the Syrian border um, uh, because uh, we, that was the only way to get across the Mediterranean. Um, so we had 4,500 kilometers to cover from um, Iskenderun in Turkey to, to Coventry. So we, ha- w- we basically had agreed that we were so short on time um, we would have to reconfigure the car to put as much stuff as we could on the roof of the car to allow the passenger to actually sleep in the passenger seat by letting it recline as much as possible. So once we got to, to to Turkey, we knew that one of us would drive and the other one would sleep. So that was basically our camp, our, our traveling hotel until we got to Coventry. So we drove for four solid days, four and a half thousand kilometers nonstop in the Hillman Imp. And it didn't miss a beat, except we had to replace um, rubber couplings, drive shaft couplings, um, uh, because they were breaking up because of the of the terrible punishment so yeah and then um uh, as we as we get to to london um uh, eventually uh jeff woke me up i was in the passenger seat it was about two o'clock in the morning um on the 6th of may that was yesterday it was our seventh anniversary by the way um and he woke me up and and he said get out and uh, i mean i had been sleeping solid in the car from dover dover to to london now and i didn't even know where we were so he, he said, we've done it. And I said, oh, my God, what have we done now? Have we done the gearbox? Have we done the engine? He said, we've done it. We said, Jolan, Johannesburg, London. He says, look, there's London. We've made it. And he gave me a massive bear hug. And then he says, OK. He says, you're driving now. And he got into the passenger seat. And the last the three hours that I had to drive to get to Coventry, I was so tired. I had injured my, my elbow in Egypt. And I was actually squeezing this, this, this uh, injury on my, on my, on my uh, elbow. To try and stay awake because I knew we had done all the hard work, and to crash because I fell asleep at the wheel now would have been would have been a terrible travesty of justice. So we arrived in Coventry, and even talking about it now fills me with emotion. That that it was it was it was indescribable to actually arrive at the place where we said we were going to get to from from South Africa. It was amazing. And two people from the M Club came to meet us, and then they said, "Okay, follow us." And we followed their hillman imp, and around the corner there was a convoy of thirty four hillman imps and the first hillman imp was a hillman imp police car from the from the sixties and we were then uh, led into the into the uh, campsite where the event was on the sixth of May and it was it was super 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 special, very very emotional
0: it 's an incredible trip and a a fantastic story i mean it 's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, you know, to do. And you actually have a book that came out called No Way Back. How can people get a hold of a copy um, if they're keen to read more about your adventures and tribulations?
1: Yeah, it was available in the the local bookstores in South Africa, but um, I think uh, it's probably a couple of years ago now, so maybe it's not on the bookshelves anymore. They could order it through exclusive books and bargain books, but maybe the best way would be to let people contact me directly on my email or cell phone, uh, or collected from either one of my restaurants uh, when, um, you know, if, if they're in the area of Johannesburg. I have people also in Cape Town that have got copies of it and I've got people in the UK that have got copies of it. And uh, yeah, so I can pretty much get it to any, any part of the, of the world. If anybody would be keen to, to read the story, it's well worth reading. Lots of nice pictures. And an interesting thing about the book as well, it was the book design was done by a lady in Cape Town who is the daughter of the man who designed the car. How about that?
0: Amazing, huh? And it's a great little book, book. I mean, I have a yeah. copy, and it's 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 excellent. Lots of photographs yeah. and 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 anecdotes. Um, so yeah, if you do want to get a copy, get get in touch with Terence. Um, I'm going to give your cell phone number, out, Terence. So you know you might Perfect. be Perfect. inundated uh, at zero eight three six zero one seven five one one. You can also email him at t.tracy at poker.co.za. T T-R-A-C-E-Y at p- poker, that's P-O-L-K-A dot C-O dot Z-A. Um, Terence, unfortunately, we're out of time. Well, I chat to you for, for a lot more time. Um, you know, it's, it's an incredible trip and incredible journey. But, yeah, thanks for joining us on the show.
1: Well, thank you very much for inviting me to chat about it. I love chatting about it. And, uh, and uh, I think when the lockdown is finished in the country – do give me a call and let's meet up at rest at, at one of my restaurants and we'll we'll chat more about it over lunch.
0: Excellent, I'm very keen for that, <laughs> Terence. Thanks for joining me and uh, stay thanks. safe and yeah,
1: that'll be great. Excellent. Thank you very much for the opportunity to chat. Cheers for now. Have a wonderful day, everybody.
0: Thanks, Terence. And that's it from from Cogumentative this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this uh, one-on-one with Terence Tracy. And as usual, we'll be back next week for uh, more motoring news, reviews. Who knows what else? So from me, Thomas Faulkner, thanks for joining us and uh, tune in next week.